must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to this 10th episode of There's No I in Podcast, our podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams and generally getting the most out of your teams. Uh, I'm Mark Johnson. As always, I am a performance teacher and a performance maker and I am joined by my partner in pod, Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. (laughs) How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Very well. Glad to hear it. We are still recording these in lockdown and I'm I'm really chuffed that we are 10 episodes in. It is a very, very good number. It's a nice, nice round number. Um, I'm really pleased. Uh, if I don't say so myself, I think uh, a pat on the back is deserved to both of us, I think. You can send those pats virtually in any way that we've told you to get in touch. Um, <laughs> I We did get a little bit soppy at the end of last... Uh, week's episode at the end of Cara's episode we both started uh, you in particular started talking quite intensely about what you've got out of this endeavor yeah I'm already regretting that um, <laughs> Sean pretend, has emotions I, everybody I pretend I, I, I uh, prefer to be a, a soulless human being um, yeah I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the soft the soft unjudgmental one and you are the cold hard coach <laughs> It's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you'll hear later on in the episode, and my God, what an episode. We've, we've teased this one before. But I get, um, I get a little bit slight, slightly uncomfortable, out of my comfort zone when the, the concept of kind of tough leadership comes in and how that's a little bit against how I work. But Sean, you seem to connect to it quite, quite a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe slightly, maybe slightly. I think... Um, I think uh, if we go back to Kara's episode, yeah, there's there is a difference when you're working with adults to when you're working with young people, you know, and s- we kind of go between both environments. So I think it's all about knowing who you're working with and the environment you're in can you know decide how you're going to act uh, appropriately. So I think there's always a time and place for hard leadership and and sometimes you have to be on the kind of slightly softer side of things. And that's certainly something, if you keep your ears open uh, in this episode, uh, something that comes up quite specifically at one point. Sean, you said you had a book recommendation for us this week. Yeah, it's just, I'm just trying to cast my mind back um, as we are doing these uh, podcasts and just thinking about kind of some of the books that I've read that have been along these kind of lines that, that have been relevant to our discussions. And I completely forgot about uh, James uh, James Kerb's book Legacy, uh, which is all about the All Blacks, uh, the rugby uh, international team, mm. uh, New Zealand international team. Sorry, uh, and it's all about their principles and their kind of values. And he spent a lot of time with them, uh, observing the team, and had like real access to the team. And um, it's it was really incredible to just see how they work. Um, they're so successful, obviously, as a nation. Uh, but but the book's really easy to read, which is always good for me because you know <laughs> I, I stay away from the highbrow stuff, Mark, as you as you well know. So no, a really easy read, and I got a lot from that book. So do go and check out um, Legacy by James Kerr. Possible interesting companion piece. Um, Amazon have their All or Nothing series on Prime, and they did uh, a year with the All Blacks. 
Yes, and I and I watched that. I watched that, and obviously, Mark, you'll know uh, more than most about the All or Nothing uh, NFL series mm. um, that they that uh, Amazon run as well, uh, and all of that stuff is just so so great. Really interesting behind the scenes stuff there. Definitely. Um, this episode is with Sergeant Kevin Casey from the Royal Air Force. Uh, he is um, my brother-in-law, for starters, but um, has been in the Air Force for the last 20-odd years. Um, and he's going to be talking to us about what uh, teamwork and uh, leadership comes up quite a lot in this one, which we don't always get into, but um, leading teams particularly an important an important element to this one. Definitely, yeah. I think, um, you know, going back to comfort zones, I think we were both definitely out of our comfort zone um, during during this interview, just because it is so far far removed from uh, environments that we have ever been in. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be great for the guests because they'll probably be in the same kind of boat as us. Um, and I think that's what's really interesting about any podcast, really, when you when you get to hear people from completely different kind of uh, environments uh, and how they kind of work within those. So a really, really interesting one. So without any further delay, let's jump into our conversation with Sergeant Kevin Casey of the RAF. So, I would like to welcome to the podcast Sergeant Kevin Casey of the RAF Regiment. Uh, Kevin uh, is also my brother-in-law, I'll say that up front so that everyone knows. How are you doing, Kevin? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, should, I, should, I, should I stick with Kev? Yeah. Can I get away with Kev? Great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, there's a short intro. Um, Kev, would you mind just letting everyone know a little bit more about yourself, kind of uh, how you came up in the RAF, what your journey's been so far, uh, just so they feel like they know you in a little more detail? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm a sergeant at the minute. I joined the Air Force in the year 2000, so it's 20 years this year. Um, (laughs) I've been on uh, a few field squadrons, because I'm in the RAF regiment, so I've been on one squadron, two squadron, SFSG, and I've done a few training jobs. Um, early part of my career, I've done a lot of tours away. I've done four tours of Afghan. Uh, I've done three tours of Iraq, and and a few training jobs to various places like Kenya, um, and training exercises then all around the world, really. And that brings me up to date, pretty much. Amazing. This is uh, so it's basically from pretty much as soon as you left school, uh, joined the RAF, and, and that's been your life ever since. Yeah, pretty much. I uh, I worked. I had two pretty bone jobs before I joined up because I left school at sixteen. <laughs> I worked for Booker's and then uh, Wilkinson's. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and then I thought I need to do something now. So. Uh, as you as as you probably know, we talk about teams on the podcast. We're uh, super interested in how people set up kind of collaboration, how they get people working together, how they keep people working together. Um, up to this point, it's come from the perspective of me. Uh, I've said in the past a wafty performance arts uh, teacher and maker and from Sean, where Sean's talking specifically about building teams to compete. 
your scope of teamwork, I guess, is a lot higher stakes. Yeah, in certain circumstances, I, uh, I can I probably imagine. Um, but it's all for the end goal, though, I think, isn't it? You know, we want to get to yeah. a means to an end. Um, but yeah, I guess us as teammates, if it goes wrong, if we don't do it properly, um, it can be obviously fatal. So, of course, and is that something? Is that something that is like a day one uh, thing that that they try and or you're trying to get your head around, or is that something that comes through the training along the way? Yeah, I think it's instilled from day one how important teamwork is and you can't kind of survive on your own if you like Mm. Um, and then they just build on that and explain the reasons more as you go through training why it's important yeah we had we had a chap uh, who who runs outward bound expeditions to kind of build teamwork on and he was talking about some of the stuff that they did okay. to try and get the groups working together, uh, you know, pitching a tent and whatever. Was there in, when you were doing your basic training, was there stuff that it felt like, yeah, this is to, this is to get us to work together. What kind of stuff would they, was that those early days uh, activities? Yeah. So being in the regiment, there was probably a little bit more, um, I don't know, strict if you like. Because uh, as being troops mm. outside the wire, it needed to be quite tight from the off for, in terms of teamwork. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so some of the things we kind of done, it was kind of, I don't know, some of it, well, I I call it quite pink and fluffy, where it's like low ropes <laughs> and high ropes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> where you're just what? working together. That's, that's together the red zone from, for me. <laughs> <laughs> working together from point A to point B, and you've got six logs, and there's shark-infested, uh, there's shark-infested custard, and you're not allowed to stand in it kind of things, you know? Yeah. Uh, that type of thing. And then going from that, going through to uh, a live a live section attack with real ammunition and you've got to move as a team to take out an enemy position, um, not trying to cross in front of your teammates while they're actually firing. You know, the levels yeah. can escalate quite quickly. So, And was was when, when you did those two different types of exercise, was, was it that sense of, oh God, here we are? Or did you feel the, the, the work that you'd put in on the 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 light and fluffy stuff did actually kind of ground those more high stakes or more difficult exercises. Um, I don't know. I don't. It's, it's kind of strange because obviously joining the military. Yeah. From day one, you're in a room with like sixteen blocks, sleeping with them, eating with them. You go to work with them, and that kind of builds up the kind of team, if you like. Yeah. I find on its own. How did conflict get dealt with? Because I can imagine when you put people in that kind of close, uh, who was responsible for diffusing when uh, something kicked off? Because I can imagine you don't suddenly go in and you're chums immediately. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, bringing us a good memories, actually. Yeah, it was just, (laughs) it it was pretty much just toe-to-toe and you squared it away like men, you know what I mean? (laughs) There's no messing about, really, in the block. Um, and did that, but did that did that did that work? Did people 
because one of the things I, you know, and I, I apologize for coming at this from such a uh, clueless perspective, but that that kind of straight up, let's deal with this now. Uh, did it tend to di- di- does that get it dealt with, or does it do you did, do you harbor kind of the, getting getting told off or getting your ear clipped by someone making you want to get your own back? No, I think it just it just put it to bed. You know, they, yeah. you'd have your scuffles. You know, there wouldn't be like blood splattered across the wall. You know, we'd never get to that <laughs> stage because they knew we wouldn't get put through training. We'd get kicked out. So yeah. So no, you know, the little scuffle. Again, back to that main goal. Yeah. Yeah, the little scuffle put it to bed, and it, you know, so there was never really any tension, which was a good thing because I think these days the way they deal with things, it's like, oh, uh, you know, we'll sit down, we have a chat about it. And, you know, in my profession, I don't think it really works. Um, it's possibly not quick enough. I, like, it has, you have to get it yeah. dealt with now. Yeah, it needs to get squared away and sorted out, really. Ke- Kevin, um, in terms of uh, personalities within a team, obviously, guys are coming from all different types of backgrounds. Um, some will have massive military uh, kind of family backgrounds. Some will be brand new to it. Um, so everyone has a different path. But... Are, are, is a diverse group of uh, personalities what you need when you are out in the field and having decisions to make? Or a lot of people feel as though people are kind of regimented to kind of almost be the same, almost robotic-like in their approach to things. Is that really not the case? Um, I don't know. It's a good question, actually, because completing tasks in the military that we all have to do, it's almost kind of robotic, you know? Mm. It's like we all got the same mindset, right? Let's go get this done so then we can go on to A, B, C, D, and E. You know, there's no like, and everybody thinks the same. I think if we did think differently, I think that's when probably the communication and the teamwork would maybe break down a bit more because we all kind of sing off the same song sheet to get to the end goal, even if it's in training or operations, then I think that just makes it flow a little bit better, to be honest. No, that's fair enough. And and so so in the field, uh, we we spoke, um, and and this is from the very very basic level of DOV of Duke of Edinburgh, which we're I am making a link between Duke of Edinburgh and the military right now. So apologies. Um, uh, <laughs> we we spoke um, about having a fork in the road and a group having to decide: do we go left or do we go right? So when you are out in the field and it is a life and death situation, is it a higher is it just a higher rank that would override that group decision to take the left or the right? And that kind of cuts out a lot of the, you know, a lot of the discussion and debate that would take place at a time that is very time sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rank, rank will always pull the decision being made. I think, um, we will talk about it. We'll get everybody's input because somebody may come up with an idea that the say commander hasn't thought of. Mm. He'll take it on board and he'll either go with that and be, yeah, nice one, or he'll be like, no, I think this is the way through experience. This is what we need to do and we're going to crack on and then that's it and off we go, really. And you always feel comfortable in those discussions to put your hand up and to give your your you know your input on on what you think may be a good decision. That There is that open kind of environment to allow you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely on operations, you know, we all need to be pulling together as soon as we get that one person with a comment and then we just kind of chin it off 
you know, he isn't going to make a comment again. So we need to keep everybody, you know, together and saying what they think, really. I think I think that's such an important point. And Mark, I think we're kind of week by week sort of that's coming up a lot. Uh, being able to build an environment where everyone feels that they can share their opinions. Um, it doesn't mean that they're going to go with them, but having having that open kind of minded approach to things, um, I think is really important. And I think a lot of people would have the perception that in the military, it would just be, you know, highest rank and no one, no yeah. one has a chance to shut it down, shut you up. Yeah, shut it down, shut you up and crack on. So I think it's really important to know that that's not, you know, that's not the case. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we talked thematically, and I think it kind of validates me and Sean and why we do this. Uh, thematically, a bunch of stuff comes up again, uh, stronger in certain areas than others. I've, I'm really interested in this idea that that pl- that forum for everyone to be heard is fundamental because if you shut someone up once, then you're shutting them up for good and you don't know when theirs is going to be the the right yeah, absolutely. or the valuable opinion. Um and also, I think if you are working on a hierarchy, because a lot of the teams I deal with, it's about kind of flattening the distance between the person at the top and the person at the bottom. And so I naturally, uh, when we've had these conversations about a team leader, I'm, you know, I'm tensing up going, nah, that's not what I like. And as Sean's teams become more competitive, it becomes more important. And it seems like when they become high stakes, when they become life and life and death potentially that kind of everyone's job is set we know that we're all working towards the same thing we trust we're all working towards the same thing but at the end of the day there is one person whose job is specifically to go okay thanks for that we're doing this one for certainty becomes what's really important that someone needs to be certain or needs to at least be the the judgment call. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of it in the military as well, when we're in that position where we need that bit of leadership, we need that bit of um, that that head and them shoulders that's going to say, right, yeah, this is what we need to do. Because I've had it in the past that, you know, I've had all sorts of commanders. I've had one that in a certain situation would dither a bit, and we'd be like, right, okay, um, yeah, we're gonna do, um, yeah, we're gonna do this. Or would you prefer in the position like that? You'd be like, right, men, this is what's gonna happen. We're going from you to there. Anybody got any questions? Not right. Let's go. You know what I mean? The kind of we get different types of leaders as well, but we need we need strong leadership. The idea that the you're not necessarily looking for the perfect decision. No, but if you don't make a decision, then nothing happens. Yeah. And that actually rank helps that quite a lot because there isn't that argument, well, my idea is better than your idea. <laughs> no, absolutely. And we use a good saying in the military, we say any decision's better than no decision. Mm. Because when you're getting shot at, you know, you, you haven't got 10 minutes, you haven't got 10 minutes to dither over which way we're going to go. We need the decision now, <laughs> yeah. otherwise men are stuck going to get shot. Yeah, that's it. As soon as as soon as he starts mentioning rifles, I'm like, yeah, we're on a different level to most of our to most of our interviews. Um, so you uh, you said that you have been a trainer yourself, like you've 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 done some teaching and you've done some training of recruits and people learning new skills. Yeah, absolutely. So every year there's um, 
this training that every person in the Air Force has to do to keep current. So that's like yeah. rifle training. They have to do rifle shooting, uh, CBRN, which is with obviously respirators, you know, and all that uh, chemical, biological stuff. Yeah. Um, so the RAF regiment, uh, there's teams on every station that then trains the rest of the Air Force to make sure they're in day two deploy or mm. to go on courses or something like that. Yeah. And have you been that trainer? For yes. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have in the past, uh, we have this uh, kind of refrain that uh, coaches are made up of the, the coaches that taught them. You know that that we train in the way that we've been trained. Okay. When you are leading in that way, what's the stuff do you think you're taking from the people that have that have trained you? Um, what, what what do you, what do you carry that you think is essential that they have that they they have to be learning or getting their head around? I think putting different faces on for the environment or the lesson you're teaching is important. So I mm. so I may go from a uh, let's say so I may be in the um, RTS, which is the respirator training facility. Uh, the CS yeah. pellets in there, and I'm doing a lesson on how to decontaminate properly if we get caught in some sort of liquid fallout or something like that. Um, yeah. And then I'll come out of that and I'll go straight on to something like first aid, which again is important, but it's within the workplace, so you know it's kind of quite relaxed. And then straight after that, I might go straight onto a range and be firing live ammo with them. So I've got to change my hats. Yeah accordingly because I'm a bit more stricter on the range because they know exactly where they are with me at that yeah. point compared to you know sat in a classroom a bit chilled out and so I, I try and take away different ways in which I can approach a different environment for teaching right. a different lesson yeah there's there's the there's a there's the right coach for the right uh, event <laughs> sorry the right yeah, teacher for the much. right subject well I think as well is 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 I guess, uh, adaptability and flexibility within your role and to not be too kind of rigid, I imagine, in terms of your leadership um, and, and your approach because it just doesn't work in, in different settings within your role. Yeah, absolutely. God, if I try to be a section commander or uh, a flight 2IC for the rest of the Air Force, or say a mechanic who's in the Air Force, I'm just going to lose them straight away. So, mm. yeah, I've got to tailor my way to try and get not down to their level, but their level of training in what I'm an SME in. So, and then bring them up that way. If I just go in straight, guns blazing, sorry for the kind of phrase, but yeah, it's kind <laughs> of, it's kind of, yeah, I'm going to lose the audience straight away. I was going to touch on as well, Kevin, um, communication i mean you know the word gets used over and over and over in terms of management speak and leadership speak but i genuinely think it is because it's so so important um and you know the military will have i guess lots of um kind of acronyms and you know and and speaking in a very succinct you know kind of tone um and get to the point quickly which uh you know, I don't all the time, as you can tell. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so my point is, um, how important is that kind of really quick 
um, uh, kind of approach to communication? And is there even a special word for the acronyms that you use and and different terminologies um, that you need in the field because it is such a fast-paced, moving situation a lot of the time? Yeah, oh, I can't stress enough, especially, like you say, in every role, I think today communication is absolutely key. Um, but yeah, just just as important in the military as well, really, from getting information out from a daily brief from the hierarchy on a squadron to, because I fire mortars, so I'm an Alpha MFC, uh, which is a mortar fire controller. So I would be with the forward troops. Um, My mortar line with four barrels would be about five kilometers behind me. And then I would radio to them where I need them bombs to land with my forward troops in front of me. Yeah. So the kind of term we use is no comms, no bombs, because if the communication falls down or isn't correct, then I can't do my job and yeah. I can't protect the guys on the ground with, with my bombs. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at it but like that's, that. That's, it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that phrase, because that was going to be my question. Um, um, my question on the no, the no comms, no bombs was if you've ever found yourself in that situation where the the expected communication hasn't been there you've had to you've had to uh wing it or be waiting for that for that kind of contact and how that impacts the group that you're with yeah absolutely god in afghan in the mountains you know the green zone and that it was oh it was an awful place to be and it was a kind of a place where we would go out and we would just try and test um kind of dead zones or black spots for comms. Uh, so we were away if we were going into certain areas that we would maybe uh, need to take a, an extra antenna yeah. because the comms weren't very good. Going out there um, looking for when you couldn't have that that communication. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, we gotta, we're trying to forward prep all the times because if we haven't got communication, then the blokes on the ground, if they're in trouble, they ain't going to get the help they need to get out of there. So it is quite paramount really uh kevin in ter- uh, just staying on on the the comms and obviously being being overseas um how important is it to i guess build relations with the militaries over there or the the civilians and and translators and, and people like that and and how difficult a job is that yeah very difficult um even though you might have an interpreter, you know, I, I just don't think the communication barrier is one thing, but we can get over that with interpreters. Um, but I find culture, culture of the Afghani army and the culture of the British army is obviously two completely different things. Yeah. They've been fighting wars for years and years and years, and it's like going out for a walk, then going out and having a firefight. Whereas we'd obviously take it a bit more serious. It's not something we're comfortable with and we will deal with it when it arises. But when working together, then going out on an operation, even though you stood next to them talking to them, the kind of communication could break down because they don't believe that is right to what we believe is yeah. right. For the, doesn't matter for the what you're saying, they could be hearing something different, interpreting it in a way that's filtered through their expectations and their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if they don't agree with something, but they understand what you say, just like you said, then they, they're not going to budge and and they're quite stubborn or not. So is that in, in kind of, 
in our in the modern day uh now um with regards to kind of the military is is that something that you would actually study and, and sit in a in a classroom almost um and look at the the cultures mm-hmm. of the places that you're going out to is there someone there for that or is it is it not that necessary or learn not learn on learn by going out and in, encountering it yeah absolutely before we go into theater so we have like 6 months um prep I training before go before we go away, um, and within that prep, then is we are we will have culture lessons on do's to don'ts when you meet the locals, um, like showing them the soles of your feet and stuff like that because they don't find that they find it quite degrading. Um, so stuff like that, um, certain buzzwords you can use to try and get a sentence together in their language, mm. like hello and stuff like that. You know, just a little bit of culture that we can try and use in their environment to try and ease that burden. Yeah, absolutely. When you step away from... I love it, you, you said theatre. <laughs> My ears pricked up. Different kind of theatre, <laughs> uh, yeah. when, when When you are not on those uh, kind of operations and you're... Like, I can imagine the difference between there and and then coming back to base in the UK... Uh, has an impact on that kind of unit cohesion or that sense of uh, there has to be some kind of a, an adjustment to maintain the the sense of who the group is because group identity has come up quite a lot in our other chats like we know each other so well that there is a version of us together that that like is who we are when is is that identity the same out there as it is over here and is there something you have to do over here in order to still feel like that same group because i can imagine once you take that pressure off the training probably feels different <laughs> um i don't think so okay um i think we i think we're quite comfortable in the uk going through all our training before we deploy we we would be solid um we would go obviously go do the job and we're only going to gel more when we're actually doing the job because, um, you know, we give yeah. ourselves a lot of praise because any negative stuff going on, really, you know, if it, and then you're going out on a patrol can have a negative yeah, absolutely, effect on yeah. certain individuals. Um, but then we come back, you know, it's quite difficult to adjust as individuals um, once being away for like seven months. But then coming back and then like that first day in work. So normally we, we normally have like a fair bit of time off when we get back from operations because of yeah. days in lieu and stuff like that. Yeah. So when we get back together after like a month, it's like I only saw him yesterday and he's and that's the strange thing with the military. That's it's like people yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen for ten years and they would just text me one word and we would start up a conversation that happened like ten years ago as if I met him yesterday. So Yeah. And that's people I've never actually worked in a team with. That's yeah. just like someone was in wow. training with someone else yeah we were interested we were we were wondering about that in that that team might feel like the wrong vocabulary for how you would describe collaboration within the military like team feels a little bit like it underplays just yeah. how you've got each other's backs yeah absolutely definitely there's so many it is it's like a you could see somebody in town now that you saw in basic training, so 20 years ago, and we would just pick up as if, you know, we were together last week or something. It's, it's just really weird. 
and and age groups is a massive thing. I think mm. people don't realise in the military. So I've got so I could have a corporal who's forty years of age, and I've got an SAC who is sixteen years of age, and we just get on like like brothers almost. And there's no there's no difference. Yeah, you know that, I don't think that happens very often in other jobs where you've got such a gap and people get on so well. But yeah, it's just we have to, you know, it's what we are, it's what we do. Uh, Kevin, I think, Mark, we were speaking um, about uh, Dr. Um, Matt Slater, who I am going to mention every week on this podcast. Matt Slater, you're very welcome Um, to come on. (laughs) uh, um, No, he... He was looking at kind of our identities um, in group uh, in groups uh, with different memberships. So even though we will have our personalities, they can be different within different group memberships. And I think I don't think there's probably a stronger group membership as you, as you're as you're saying as 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 a military one because, like you said, the the memberships come from those group experience those shared group experiences. And I don't think you can get kind of higher in terms of a group shed um, experience than, you know, being out in the field, being in operations, uh, et cetera. So when you speak there about 20 years and then, you know, you can still have a text from someone. I think that's like the pinnacle of a group membership. Yeah, absolutely. You don't yeah. you don't you don't ever leave the group. No. Yeah. It's a constant <laughs> WhatsApp and that never that never closes. In terms of the different identities, the different memberships. Uh, do you have a, and I don't know if it's particularly appropriate, do you have a social relationship with those people that are your RAF teammates? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, especially in training. You know, we do six months of basic training and we, we sleep with them, we go to work with them. Oh, no, actually sleep with them. You know, we, we stay, in, stay in the same room as them. <laughs> <laughs> um, we... We go to work in the day and then on the weekend, we're all out on the piss together as well. It's, it's, it's full on. So, so, do you, so do you think the actual the time spent together, just the, the practicality of the amount of hours, contact hours that you have with those people, regardless of whether there's, you know, you get on each other's nerves from time to time or, or whatever. It's just the, the fact that you're with each other so much and maybe in other groups like your work colleagues and stuff like that, it's not the same. There isn't that same amount of contact hours. Yeah. Yes, yeah, strange one because it's like when you're with them group of lads. Say, like again, going back to basic training or on operations, it's it's you're together so much that you know when to stop pressing the button of somebody. Mm. So then it never gets to that point where it's gonna just absolutely blow up, and you can only get that with time spent with somebody, you know, yeah. or as a group. I think also the that thing of like with family or with uh, when you live with someone, you have no choice but to see them at their worst, at their most bothered, at their most irritated. And you don't have a choice but to find a way to work with that. And so that just yeah. you just understand people more, don't you? Yeah. Like sharing an office. Like, <laughs> like, like sharing an like office. sharing an office. <laughs> yes. Go, sharing an office with you is like being at war, Sean. That's, that's the lesson we're going to take away from here. That, that's how I approach it every day. <laughs> so we've spoken about a lot there. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything from a, from a teamwork or a training or a collaboration point of view that you think 
the world should know or that we've missed that you were expecting to be talking about on this chat? I think probably the biggest thing I've taken away from being in the military um, as working with other people is, you know, someone might have a better idea than you. So it's worth just listening. You can be in 20 years or you could get some smart ass that just joined up three months ago. Mm. And he may look at something totally different to the way you look at it. And to shut him down on on what his take is on it is just, it could just be denying, you know, probably a better plan yeah. altogether. Like. And cutting off your nose to spite your face. That it's, 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 it's about no room for ego in that respect. No. Absolutely. Ego gets people killed. So, yeah, absolutely. Can we make a uh, book recommendation if you've got a, uh, some time to kill and reading? Uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio is some mega rich hedge fund manager. But he runs his company on the principle of anyone with a good idea can call out anyone's bad idea as long as mm. one... They're not do- they're not doing it as a personal dig, and two, everyone else can see that it's happened, so that uh, every good idea can be heard, no matter where it comes from, and every bad idea can be called out, no matter how important the person given the bad idea is. Yeah. Might might be an interesting one to uh, to flick through. It's certainly on our reading list. Yeah, uh, that's called principles. Yeah, oh, cool. Uh, it's been amazing to have you on thank you so much uh kev you've covered a bunch of ground that again every time we do this there's some overlap that we think we're finding between all of these conversations and then some stuff that fires it so far out there away from what we've talked about that uh makes each one of these completely fascinating we really appreciate you coming on uh so thank you so much yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Kevin, thank you so much. Absolutely fascinating. I, I know we could have gone on for so much, so much longer. Um, really appreciate it. And thank you for everything that you do for us as a country as well, not just for the podcast. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Kevin Casey there, Sergeant Kevin Casey of the RAF. Um, Sean, that was outside of what we know. One hundred percent, yes. Um, but I think we should both give each other a virtual high five because we didn't get in trouble for any completely stupid questions. I don't think. No, I think Sergeant Sergeant Kevin Casey. It did feel like a minefield. Let us off. <laughs> and honestly, I said at the beginning, Kev is my brother-in-law. I have generally avoided having those kind of conversations you know around the around the christmas the christmas dinner table i imagine yeah just yeah just partly because uh you don't know what's you don't know what's going to come up or you you're not sure how much uh they want to talk about it um but i was i loved how open he was i loved how there was one point i asked (laughs) I asked a question and the answer was just a straight up no. It's nothing like that, uh, and I, <laughs> I got a lot. I've got a lot of time for want. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that. That's what we need. I think. I think one of my biggest takeaways was uh, the kind of the, the 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 part around indecisiveness. Yes, and, yeah. and indecision. 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of of decisive action, and that's not always to say that that I'm fantastic at that. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of times, you know, when it is indecision that really slows processes down. Uh, and can really stop an organization. And it's the bit that makes um, people rub up against each other as well. It's the, it causes the friction too. Because if you're just swimming in opposite opinions and you're, you're not making that final call, it's just an opportunity for two people to start disagreeing with each other more and more and more or getting on each other's nerves or you know risking it becoming personal. So being able to jump in there and go, no, we're doing this. It keeps the team together. Like you were saying, there's there's a, a need to resolve that kind of nonsense quickly. Exactly. And Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say squaring off against someone is my way of dealing with conflict quickly. But <laughs> in that environment, if, if, if that works, like, I suppose go for it. Well, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to advocate on on uh, on that part too much, but all I'll say is that, you know, especially in uh, sporting kind of changing rooms, you know, I've definitely been in situations and had experiences where, you know, it has come it has come to that kind of uh kind of physical blows um and sometimes, you know, as adults in a changing room, things things can happen. Um <laughs> and then you kind of move on. <laughs> you know, you kind of move on. So uh, yes, as I said, there's, I'm not advocating this in any way, uh, but it did come up in the podcast, and uh, you know I have experienced it. I have seen it uh, in, in change rooms when when things get heated. Yeah, uh, and maybe that's where that's where the part around communication is maybe key, so that things can be kind of talked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, super grateful to Kev for coming on, and I think it just. Adds to the the body of, of perspectives and opinions that we're getting off this podcast, which is great. Um, on that note, we are loving this so much that we are definitely going to continue doing it. But just so everybody knows, uh, we're going to take a week off and come back with what we're going to call uh, Series 2, because that is a thing that podcasts do. Um, but uh, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna have a listen back to some stuff. We're gonna reflect on uh, the guests that we've had, and we're gonna have a think about uh, some guests that we can line up. We've got a couple already uh, kind of penciled in, but we're gonna try and build uh, a real mixed group of uh, guests. We don't so that we're not just talking about netball, or we're not just talking about uh, chorus lines. Um, Again, if there's anyone you want, we've already had a couple of cracking recommendations that we're looking into, but if there's anyone you want us to ask, uh, send us an email, Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show or tweet at us at our own uh, handles at noipodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be off for a week, then we will come back fresh-faced, uh, fresh-voiced with uh, Series 2 and a collection of some more super interesting conversations about teams. I'm really looking forward to series two. Uh, as you said, Mark, I hope that we can get um, a real kind of variety of, of, of guests from different industries in um, so that our audience get a real picture um, of, of teams. Uh, so it's been an absolute pleasure to do these 10 episodes. Um, a huge thank you to all of the guests that have come on. 
um, you know, it is a new podcast, so you guys have taken a leap of faith, and I hope that uh, those guests have enjoyed listening back to the episodes. Um, I know our audience have, and I, as I said, really look forward to series two. Brilliant. So keep an eye out for that in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, everyone, for uh, continuing to listen. It has become a small obsession of mine to sit and click refresh on the uh, stats page of Anchor. Uh, to see how many of you are listening to us and where you are. Um, All across the world, (laughs) we are a global podcast. (laughs) That's kind of that for this week and for Series 1. So, yeah, as Sean said, thank you to everyone who's been a guest so far. It's been a phenomenal journey. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's listened. You can hit us up uh, on email or on Twitter and Instagram, uh, noipodcast, and uh, until... Series two, uh, it's goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And it's uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.